Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Liam, if we've not met before, and um, it's my privilege to come and share the word this morning. I'd like to add my welcome to that of Dave's, welcome to those uh, in the room, and of course, welcome to those joining us uh, online, whether you're joining us now live or watching later on demand, it's, it's terrific to have you all along this morning. So the series that we're picking up in today is our Broken Signpost series. And as a, a quick refresher of Pastor Dan's message, um, or for those who didn't hear it last week, the broken signposts that we're looking at throughout this series are these components of Christian life that are not totally foreign even to people who don't necessarily have a personal faith or understand much about Christianity. There are these concepts or these ideas or these principles where the gospel connects meaningfully with the secular worldview. The series is drawn from N.T. Wright's book, Broken Signposts, How Christianity Makes Sense of the World. And the thesis of that book is that all people either feel, hope for, have some instinct for or recognise the importance of each of these signposts that Wright has identified. But the signposts are broken because they look as though they're pointing to the ultimate truth in life, the ultimate meaning and the ultimate purpose. But if we follow these signposts, we're left with a sense that we were promised so much but consistently and completely let down. And last week, Pastor Dan spoke about the broken signpost of justice And today we're talking about the broken signpost of spirituality. Now, one of the real difficulties in putting together this sermon, and I'm sure it's a difficulty that most of the preachers throughout this series will have, is just the simple act of defining the signpost. Spirituality is a difficult concept to define, particularly because it looks so different in so many different contexts and cultures And the way that we might typically define it within these four walls might not necessarily be the same as the way that the average person across the road at the supermarket might define it. And so I tried to find a relatively culturally and contextually neutral definition of spirituality. And I found this one from Dr. Maya Spencer. It says, spirituality involves the recognition of a feeling or sense or belief that there is something greater than myself something more to being human than sensory experience, and the greater whole of which we are a part is cosmic or divine in nature. And reachout.com provides this further definition of spirituality as an individual practice that has to do with having a sense of peace and purpose, and it relates to the process of developing beliefs around the meaning of life and connection with others. Now, since it would be impossible this morning to cover every single spiritual belief and practice, when I talk about the broken signpost of spirituality this morning, I'm really focusing in particular on the sort of new age spirituality movement that emerged throughout the late 20th century. The I'm not religious, but I am spiritual kind of worldview. 
The New Age movement promotes an eclectic and individualistic approach to spirituality, drawing away from the organised, doctrinal and structured religion. People are encouraged to draw from various religious and mystical traditions, uh, different philosophies, various aspects of science, pseudoscience and self-help practices with the ultimate goal of personal growth, self-exploration and the pursuit of a higher self or a higher consciousness. And in a world where the church is often seen as a symbol of rigidity, rules and regulation, the New Age spirituality offers a framework that emphasises personal autonomy, individual choice and the freedom to explore outside the supposed confines of organised religion. But I think there's a lot to be learned from the fact that even those who have rejected traditional religion uh, haven't outright rejected any and all spiritual practices and moved towards, say, strict atheism, but have instead sought to break free of the perceived shackles of traditional religion while still pursuing the universal longing within every human being for meaning, purpose and connection. And what I really want us to focus in on this morning is that universal longing. And I want to look at how this pursuit for meaning, purpose and connection ultimately points to and is perfectly realised in the, the hope that we have in Jesus, the perfect love that we have in Father and the goodness of the gospel. And I want to lean into how we can put each of these things up in headlights in our life and invite people into a transformative and fruitful spiritual walk together with our personal saviour, King Jesus. And so I'm going to turn in a moment to John 15, if you've got your Bibles, or otherwise it will be up on the screen. But before I read that, will you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We thank you for the gift of your word, and I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would speak to each of us this morning. Father, I pray that we would be sensitive to your spirit and that we would be willing to eager and hear from you. Would you prepare each of our hearts as we open your word this morning? And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're picking up in John 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
So firstly, before we get stuck into the passage, I think it's helpful to understand the context of where we're picking up in John's Gospel. So we're picking up around two-thirds-ish of the way through John's Gospel. And so far, we've been introduced to Jesus, the Word made flesh. We've met uh, John the Baptist, and Jesus has called his disciples. Then Jesus performed many miracles and signs. He turned water into wine, uh, healed the sick, fed the 5,000, walked on water, and raised Lazarus from the dead. Then in chapter 13, Jesus foretells of his betrayal to his disciples, and he tells them, I will be with you only a little longer. And in chapter 14, Jesus declares that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father except through him. And he promises to send them to the Holy Spirit to be with them and to guide them. And then chapter 15 is where we pick up today. So moving now to the imagery of the vine. The imagery of the vine and the branch is, is one which demonstrates complete dependence and the need for constant connection. Without the vine, not only can the branch not produce fruit, that is, it cannot uh, fulfil its meaning or its function, but it actually cannot even survive. Now remember, Jesus has just foretold of his betrayal to his disciples. And his disciples are coming to terms with what it means that Jesus will soon depart from them, that he will no longer be physically present with them. And they're distressed. They've walked with Jesus, they've dined with him, they watched him perform miracles with their own eyes, but soon he will no longer be with them, and the question is, what next? And so with that context in mind, this metaphor is first and foremost an encouragement to his disciples that despite his physical separation, that Jesus would remain united to them and they could remain united to him as truly as branches are connected to a vine. But we also can't miss that in this encouragement there is a warning. Jesus says to his disciples, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. That's a a challenging thing for us to hear today, but it would have been particularly challenging for his disciples to hear as well, particularly as they're trying to understand what their lives will look like once Jesus has physically departed. It would have been so tempting for Jesus' disciples who were living regular lives and they were regular people before Jesus came along and he called them to extraordinary lives. He called them to lives of submission and in many ways he called them to dangerous lives. And it would have been tempting for them to simply return to their old ways. But Jesus is warning against them returning to their ordinary lives simply because he would no longer be physically present with them. Jesus, the Word made flesh, would no longer physically dwell on earth, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, his disciples could continue, and we too can abide with him. And Jesus says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Now the obvious question is, what in this context does it mean to produce fruit? In trying to understand this uh, a bit further, I did what I think we all do when in a predicament like this, and I went and had a look at the original Greek translation. 
And the original Greek used was the, the Greek word for fruit here is karpos. Karpos. And helps word studies describes the word karpos like this. By definition, fruit results from two life streams. The Lord living his life through ours to yield what is eternal. And so however we understand fruit, it must be something with an eternal yield. And this imagery is used throughout the New Testament to describe many things. First and foremost, we might be familiar with uh, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And in Colossians 1, Paul refers to living a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. And even throughout the New Testament, new believers are described using this imagery of fruit. In Romans 16, Epinetus is described as a first fruit of Asia for Christ. And so bearing fruit in this context encompasses each of these things. It encompasses reflecting in our character the fruits of the Spirit, the righteous actions that flow from our faith in Jesus Christ and our evangelism, witnessing and discipleship. And so I want to turn now to look at some of the key teachings that come from this passage and in particular to compare and contrast Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit with some of the teachings or principles of New Age spirituality. And I'm hoping that that will be helpful for us this morning uh, in two ways. Firstly, so that we understand when we're having conversations with people what the likely tension points are going to be. And secondly, uh, as a useful reminder for each of us in our walk with Christ. Firstly, and I think importantly, this passage emphasises the centrality, the authority and the sufficiency of Jesus alone. And that can be contrasted with many spiritual teachings which emphasise the centrality, authority and the sufficiency of self. And that's not to say that all people who pursue a spiritual life outside of Jesus are selfish, but fundamentally, particularly in New Age spirituality, it centres on the idea that individuals are inherently powerful and inherently capable of achieving spiritual growth through self-discovery and self-enlightenment. There's an emphasis on the inner self, on intuition and the use of personal experience as primary sources of guidance and truth. Individuals are encouraged to explore their own spiritual truths and find their own unique path in life. And so whereas a spiritual framework emphasises self, a Christian worldview emphasises the laying down of self and our desperate need for Christ. There is no amount of power or authority or wisdom or righteousness within any of us to achieve the salvation that comes solely through Christ's death and resurrection. The second key distinction is around what it is in our life that can transform us and what it is we are hoping to be transformed to. 
Jesus says in this passage when he's speaking of the Father, he says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. This is a picture of God's power to transform each of us. In each of us there are character flaws and there are traits that do not honour God or reflect the fact that we're made in his image. But instead of completely chopping us off, the Father prunes us so that we may produce more fruit. Now this verse 7 is an important one and it is one that is perhaps liable to me to be misunderstood. It says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. This is talking about the words of Jesus and his teachings contained within the Bible being our constant guide and our sole source of truth. It's about meditating upon the word, allowing it to dwell within us and allowing it to speak to us and transform us. And the second part of the sentence where Jesus says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, this is speaking of prayer. Prayer allows us to directly communicate with God despite Jesus not being physically present with us. And it is through prayer that our union with Christ is maintained. But of course, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you doesn't mean that I can just ask for a three-bedroom, two-bathroom home on the Brighton Esplanade or for a big old pay rise at work or for the Saints to maybe one day please win a premiership. No, it is through our union with Christ and through abiding with him and allowing his word to dwell within us and allowing the Father to prune us, we will be transformed from the inside out. Our deepest desires will change and the things that we wish for and the things that we ask God for will be for greater intimacy with him, for his name to be glorified and for his kingdom to come on this earth. And those are prayers which God would just delight in answering. So whereas New Age spirituality centres on the pursuit of inner transformation or transcendence or a higher consciousness through meditation, energy healing, affirmations and holistic practices, truly what is good for us is to allow ourselves to be inwardly transformed by the person and power of Jesus through abiding with him, principally through the spiritual practices of prayer and reading his word. And finally, there's a really fundamental truth that comes from the first five words of the passage that we're looking at this morning. I am the true vine. So not only is Jesus the true vine, which implies the existence of wrong or false vines, but he is also the true vine rather than a true vine. And this is potentially one of the most controversial and countercultural aspects of the Christian faith. And if we're honest, it's a real stumbling block for a lot of people. N.T. Wright says it well when he says this. He says, Empires that might object if you thought through what it meant that there was only one God and that Jesus was the world's true Lord would give you no trouble if you said that you were pursuing a quest of inner enlightenment and ultimate otherworldly salvation. 
So while people may not object to you saying that Jesus was a real person, people may believe that Jesus in fact performed miracles, they might believe that he was a good role model or a mentor or a teacher, you can certainly expect people to push back when you say that Jesus is the one true God. And this declaration that there is one true God is a a real point of difference between Christianity and much contemporary or New Age spirituality. It's a declaration that's seen by some people as dogmatic, it's seen as closed-minded, and maybe even in some cases it's seen as oppressive. But there can be absolutely no mistaking Jesus' teaching on this point. Remember, it's only in the previous chapter in John 14 that Jesus has said, I am the way and the truth and the life and nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so if we accept that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, then we must also accept that he is the only way to the one true God and that all else is a distraction or a diversion or a mistake. And that might be a real stumbling block for some people. And so you need to be aware that if you're going into a conversation with someone who holds a spiritual or religious worldview other than the Christian faith, that you're not only asking them to accept Jesus into their life, but actually to remove their other idols and other spiritual practices from their lives. And that's not something that you'll be able to convince somebody to do in one conversation or overnight. But it's part of the journey of discipleship as we journey with people, teaching them about who Jesus is and what it looks like to submit to him. It's part of the Father's pruning. That's part of of being transformed by prayer and spending time in his word. And not only is it a a tragedy for us to miss out on the fruits of the true vine, but it is dangerous for us to try to be sustained by false vines. There's a story in two kings of this unnamed person. It says, One of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild vine and picked as many of its gourds, which is a kind of fruit, as his garments could hold. When he returned, he cut them up into the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat it, they cried out, Man of God, there is death in the pot, and they could not eat it. And Charles Spurgeon said of this passage, You have been trying to find pleasure in the world, and you have found wild vines. You have gathered wild gourds, a lapful almost a heartful. You have been shredding death into the pot and now you cannot feel as you used to feel. The poison is stupefying your soul. And so while the true vine produces fruit within the soul, false vines poison the soul. And so we've got these three key distinctions. We've got the centrality of Jesus versus the centrality of self, the true transformational power of Christ alone, and Jesus as being the one true God. But where does that all go? How do these things help us to connect with a world that is lost 
confused and disoriented by the broken signpost of spirituality. Well, let's ask the question. When people look towards that signpost, what is it that people are ultimately looking for? What are people seeking in their pursuit of spirituality? If we return to the definitions that we began with at the outset, they suggest that people are searching for three things. A sense of purpose, a sense of peace, and connection. And having looked this morning at what a life with Jesus offers, it is my conviction that our deepest human longings for purpose, peace, and connection will only be satisfied by a life lived with Jesus. That spirituality will always be a broken signpost unless it points directly to the person of Jesus. See, each of us are called to a purpose. When we're invited to participate in God's redemptive plan for this world, in his plan to renew all things and to have all people reconciled to him. We're invited to have a personal role in that plan. And the invitation is not dependent upon our adequacy, but it relies only on us saying yes to God and being equipped by the power of the Holy Spirit to take part in God's plan, all the while being redeemed and transformed to look more and more like Christ. Jesus, the man, fully human, flesh Jesus, is no longer physically here with us on earth, but we are his hands and his feet. We are the vessels on God's mission. Remember the definition of fruit that we looked at earlier. The Lord living his life through ours to yield what is eternal. So your life is not meaningless. You're not, your life is not even mundane or ordinary because the Lord lives his life through ours by the Spirit dwelling within us. And what a beautiful thing to be called to take part in. And the sense of peace that comes from a relationship with Jesus is a sense of peace like no other. I lived 20-odd years of my life not really caring about who Jesus was, choosing not to have a relationship with him and choosing instead to rely on my own strength and my own power and my own understanding. And then I've lived six or seven years in relationship with Jesus. And even though those years have been some of the most confusing and tumultuous years of my life, where I've experienced doubt like never before, and I've experienced worry and grief like never before, and anxiety like never before, even greater than all of those things is the peace like never before that I have experienced from the promises of Jesus, from the hope that I have in him, and the personal relationship that I have with him. And we should never lose sight of the miracle it is that we are invited to have a personal relationship with our King Jesus. There's truly a sense of connection like no other. 
not only are we able to understand and to recognise the divine God who created our universe, who knows all things and who is powerful above all things, but we're actually invited into an intimate and personal relationship with him. A relationship in which that same omnipotent God takes a personal interest in every detail of our lives. N.T. Wright puts it like this. He says, In John's vision, the often puzzling quest for spirituality, the need to know and to be known at the deepest levels, is fulfilled at last. His desire was that his very life, his breath of life, wisdom, joy, and so on, would be inside their very selves. After all, they really were made in his image. What could be more appropriate than for that image to come to life and vividly express the reality of God's power and love in a life that is both truly human and truly God-reflecting and becoming more and more so all the time? And I'll leave us with this this morning. The vine is a spreading plant. The Matthew Henry Bible commentary says this. It says, The vine is a spreading plant, and Christ will be known as salvation to the ends of the earth. And I think this is an appropriate place for us to land this morning, particularly in the context of this series and the purpose that each of these broken signposts should actually be an encouragement for all of us to be living God's mission, to be meaningfully building bridges with those around us, and using these signposts as connection points with those who are lost. And so let this be my prayer for us this morning as we finish up. May we be a church like a vine that stays firmly rooted downwards in Christ, in all things relying on his strength, his grace, his goodness, his provision and his love. But may we be always seeking to grow and reach new people, seeking to grow the kingdom and in all things glorifying God the Father. Pray all those things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.